This NBA season, make every three-pointer, alley-oop, and buzzer beater even more exciting with FanDuel. You can bet on everything from first baskets and number of dunks to which player will drain the most threes. Or stack your bets with the same game parlay for a shot to win even bigger. It's quick, easy, and you'll get your winnings fast. So download the app today and see why we're North America's number one sportsbook. Make every moment more with FanDuel. 19 plus and physically located in Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-866-531-2600 or visit connectsontario.ca. If you're struggling with alcohol or drugs, Recovery Centers of America can help. RCA's local inpatient and outpatient programs are founded on science and delivered with heart from an expert caring team who will inspire and guide you every step of the way. Call 1-800-941-2358 to speak with a treatment advisor. At RCA, you'll be in a community that builds connections and fosters support from peers and RCA's team of medical professionals. At RCA's state-of-the-art campuses, they tailor your treatment to you and also offer specialized programs for patients with history of trauma or relapse, for young adults, for adults 50-plus, for LGBTQ patients who wish to seek treatment without worry of stigmas, a confidential program for first responders and military, and a faith-based program. Recovery Centers of America accepts patients 24-7 and is in network with most insurance providers. Don't wait. Call 1-800-941-2358. 800-941-2358. You know what I want. Hello and welcome to the Raptors Extra Weekly Podcast, or Weekly Extra. I don't care. As long as you like it, I like it. Do your thing. But a very special episode wherein we are addressing the trade deadline, the fallout of it. Is there room for optimism? Is there room for pessimism? All that kind of stuff. And somebody who is of Raptors Twitter fame to some degree, Jacob Mack, wrote what I would call the Keeping Kyle Lowry Manifesto. He walks through all the benefits, all the great amounts of things that can happen when you keep Kyle Lowry and what that means for the future, what the risk would have meant to trade him, what type of return you're looking at and why that wasn't worth it. Jacob, big fan of your work, although it is sparse lately. Yes. I still, I really enjoyed yes. the Google Doc. So I'm happy it was, you a, to it talk was about notes, it. It was Notes app. It was actually a, a Notes app post. I was thinking okay. of putting it. Thinking of putting it on HQ, but uh, they would not have paid me for it. So, uh, yeah, one in the notes app. I'm siphoning traffic away from my employer just uh, out of protest. They should give me money. But, um, yeah, thanks for having me on. I want to I start right at the top, and we'll just go, and I'll say, Cliff Notes, let's, let's hear the, the rough, I guess, estimate of what you have written down there. And then we'll go through it one by one and we'll pick up the points that I think are could receive a little bit more attention. So your case in yeah, the sure. you know, minute to two sure. minute range and we'll go from there. So what I was sort of looking at was that like I wanted to look at it from uh, like a strictly kind of like dorky analytical perspective, like a, you know, a Nate Duncan perspective, because I, I feel like once you start to inject emotion into it, like the Raptors' emotional attachment to Kyle, it just sort of becomes beyond the pale to trade him for a bunch of parts. You know, looking at the returns that were on offer, what you have is a lot of sort of marginal young pieces. Like, you know, we're talking about Tyrese Maxey, you know, Taylor Horton Tucker, 
it's just a matter of are these pieces going to contribute to the Raptors core right of Fred OG Pascal um, more than Kyle will and I, I just like I don't think that's the case right once you start to take things out of the you know the optimum return the return you're you're asking for like you know Daryl Morey and uh, Rob Poinka were right where they're just you know subtracting one piece or two it stops becoming you know a, a a trade that's offering more to the core and then the the other thing is that you know those things the the things that they would be getting have more team control than Kyle but looking at the Raptors offseason right Lowry realistically if he's going to leave he's leaving to win a championship which means he's leaving to one of the three teams that were in contention to get him at this trade deadline you know Miami uh the Sixers the Lakers and two of those teams, we know they're going to be operating above the cap, right? The Lakers and the Sixers, there's no way for them to get under the cap, which means if they want Lowry in the offseason, they're going to need to do a sign and trade, which means essentially we get right back to where we are right now, where if they want him, they're going to have to give up, you know, substantial assets. So you're going to, going to recoup the value that you, you know, lost by not trading him in the offseason if he leaves to one of those two teams. And then with the Heat, um, you said to go over it briefly. I can't really with the Heat. It's more complex. <laughs> their their situation has like a lot of you know decision points. Um, but the long and short of it is, if they want to keep Victor Oladipo and also acquire Kyle Lowry, of course they acquired Oladipo at the deadline. Um, then they're going to need to do a sign and trade as well, and the Raptors are going to be able to recoup assets there as well. So, I, I sort of look at it like they're either going to keep Lowry or they're going to get something back for him. And then like looking at how they play this season, it's just a matter of like, do you value the, the playoff run more than the, you know, marginal improve in, like improvement in draft value that you get by trading Lowry. And I think that just because of the nature of this draft class, I think you have, you kind of have to, I don't think you're really gaining a lot, especially since the Raptors are getting back a lot of, like, I, I, I think it's hard to imagine the Raptors are going to be worse in the second half, whether or not they trade Kyle Lowry um, at the trade deadline, just because, you know, they had so much go wrong for them prior to, prior to the deadline that was, like, entirely outside of their control, not repeatable. I believe that, you know, I've read through this a few times. The logic is sound basically at every point. The financials make 100%. It makes sense. And for anybody who's reading this, I'll post this. I'll post Jacob's tweet in the article that this gets posted with if you want to go run through it. But basically, there's two points that you have to believe to make this work is that Kyle Lowry will still be valuable into his next contract. You have to believe that he will maintain his value as a basketball player going forward, that suddenly his contract, and this is, again, removing the emotion of it, right? This is the, the skim milk, cheersing, whatever it is, Daniel yeah. LaRue, Nate Duncan. Yeah. So we're doing that. You have to believe that Kyle's going to maintain his value. And then the other half of it, well, I guess there's three parts. The, the second third of it is that you have to believe, yes, that the Raptors currently represent one of the worst records of all time, given their point differential. You have to believe they've been absolutely smashed by a Mack truck. Mack truck, there you go, by a Mack truck to get them to this point that they're operating as a team at a much higher clip and just have been terrible luck has put them below. And you also have to believe what you're saying about the draft, that there's five 
six guys who would really be worth a tank and the three, four guys at the top are the guys who, if you were to get them, it kind of alters where your franchise is going because of the team control and their talent. So let's go in on the, I just want you to make your case for each thing, although I'm in total agreement on all three parts, but I'll let you make your case. So for Kyle maintaining his value, let's talk about that. I think that with Kyle maintaining his value, obviously, you know, if you're a Raptors fan, you know he has the kind of game that ages well in terms mm-hmm. of just being a decision-making, you know, like hub for for your team and, and dramatically changing the way you play. But, you know, upping the tempo, you know, making reads that, you know, other guys can make. This is the kind of stuff that you can continue to do in, in old age because it's all about, you know, the way you process the game as a, as a player. But more than that, I think it's, it's, uh, it's something where it doesn't really matter the, the size of the next contract that he gets. He just needs to be productive. He doesn't need to meet the production. Uh, you know, he doesn't need to meet the, 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 the dollar value of his, of his next contract, just because the Raptors aren't a team that can do a lot with, um, with cap space, especially not just coming off season, right? He needs to be not a higher value contract, than um you know the competitive you know the the other guys that they could sign this offseason he just needs to be better than them and i think that he's a guy where you're you're going to have to pay like 20 to 25 million dollars for him this offseason and he might not be worth that two years from now but i think it's it it makes sense to to look at his game and say he's still going to be a good player and i think that just in terms of like, like the straight up player value of a guy like Tyrese Maxey. Yes, he can eventually be good, but we're talking like three, four years from now when he's playing at, 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 a, at a starter level, right? That That's when you're getting the, the most value out of him. It's not, you know, next year, the year after, right? And I think that that's what you're really looking at with, you know, the Raptors' current guys. Like I said, they're, you know, 26, 27. In terms of them as uh as a core competing in the playoffs right the the next couple of years is like kind of what you're looking at as you know what you're gunning for and then beyond that it's it's you know it's hard hard to plan for right you don't know what you know pascal's aging curve is going to look like what fred's aging curve is going to look like what you know whether og has another year right in terms of the you know it's nice to have you know young guys just as a as a contingency plan but i think that in terms of the, the very, you know, sort of immediate future that Kyle is going to be more productive than the alternatives. I think that's a point well made is that you, as you say, you don't know what's going to happen with Pascal or Fred. You don't know what, you don't know how they age. You also don't know if OG, a guy who is, you know, slowly upping that usage percentage. And I think there's on a play by play basis, OG can give you a lot of stuff to think about as far as what his ceiling might be. But on a, you kind of step out, you zoom out and you look at his statistical profile and his play by like his play type profile. And you say, what's really sitting here? And he has to do that kind of stuff on a a more consistent level to make you think that you have to add right now, big time. And that's what's going to happen with it. And as far as, yeah, Tyrese Maxey, those types of guys, we get excited and like NBA Twitter guys like myself who like to obsess over like, the Rashawn Holmes push shot or a Tuan Moore and his floater, Tyrese right. Maxey is like ready package to be obsessed about on Twitter because he has like those funky little shots and he's got like that floater game. 
but he also doesn't get to the rim a ton. Like his free throw rate isn't that great. And you have to wait to see if he develops into something meaningful because yeah, if absolutely. you are, you know, yeah. you see, you see guys like that, like De'Aaron Fox, he came into the league and he had an incredibly low free, free throw rate. Like I remember he was a guy I was really down on because I, I remember thinking, you know, contact uh, aversion is like a really harmful trait in guards. D'Angelo Russell was kind of like my, you know, my touchstone mm-hmm. for that, where like he had a lot of time progressing as a scorer just because he was so contact averse that he had trouble getting to the rim. Um, you know, but Fox, what happened is, you know, he developed that ability to draw contact. And I absolutely think that Maxi can be a very good player. It's just a matter of he needs to develop physically, right? He's 19 year, he's what, like 19, 20 years old, um, you know, for his style of play, which is, you know, absolutely slashing, uh, you know, a slashing guard. He's not a fantastic shooter. He's not likely to ever be, you know, a guy who's just, you know, dusting you from outside, you know, he, he needs to develop a lot physically. He needs to, you know, develop in terms of his, you know, decision-making in terms of his comf- comfort level withdrawing contact. And that's going to take, you know, a lot of like substantial reps and a lot, you know, a lot of more time in the league. And I think, you know, like I said, I think people are just have a sort of wrong-headed perception of, you know, where this Raptors core is at because they were all much older guys when they entered the league. And so really they're just, you know, they're guys who are entering their prime or, you know, in sort of the, the height of their prime um, more than they are, you know, developing players, even though they've only been in the year, league, you know, five, six years. Yeah, I, I agree with that 100%. And that's Tyrese. Is he going to be good enough that he carries that next era? And if he's not, then he has to be good enough to add more than Kalari does currently. And looking at it, it's hard to bet. Like, of course, any player at any point in time could be like the next big thing, of course. But if you're looking from the probability, you're trying to suss out what makes sense. I think it does make sense to say that Tyrese Maxey is not going to be transformative and he's not going to provide more help to the current, ro- the current roster, the current core than Kyle Lowry. So, yeah. I, I don't want to rule out the idea of like right. Tyrese Maxey becoming a superstar, right? Like, because, you, you know, you look at, like a lot of these guys and, you know, to Alan Horton Tucker, there's a reason the Raptors were intrigued with them, right? It's just that that is such a slim possibility that, you know, the amount you're costing yourself in the present when, you know, again, for this core, the time is now, next year and the year after, right? The amount you're costing yourself in the present in terms of production, it's just, it's not worth the, the, the you know, the home, the, the chance that, you, you know, you hit a home run with one of these guys, Especially since, like I said, you know, you're only getting, you know, one or two, one or two shots at it, right? Like with the Sixers, you're getting Maxi in a pick. With the Lakers, you're just getting Horton Tucker. With the Heat, we don't even know what their offer was. Like it was just Duncan Robinson or something. Like, come on, you know, there's that's the Heat's offer. Like there was nothing there, from what I can tell. Um, I think I can move us to this team. Probably they're good enough to make the playoffs. I've been. If you're listening to the podcast, then you probably listen to the podcast regularly. You've heard me make the points of why they are still a good team at this point, and they have that huge hole at the five. But Jacob, if you could make your case for why the Raptors are too good to even tank with or without Kyle Lowry. Well, I think that it's, you know, it's a matter of like how, like, first of all, obviously they've lost their games by a very, like by very slim margins. They have that point differential. But it's it's also 
you have this run to the bottom of the standings that happened entirely while a bunch of guys were out with COVID, right? And you, if you look at the drivers of the Raptors' success this year, you know, it really has been more Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam than Kyle Lowry. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that, you know, getting those two back, it just, it takes, you know, they were in the playoff picture, you know, they were in what, like they got as high as, as fifth place, I think. I think third. They actually, for like a night, they were in third. Yeah. So they, like, not that long ago, they were right up there in the playoff picture. And so, you know, regardless of whether or not they have Kyle on their team, I think it's it's hard to imagine that they're going to have a, a similar record post-trade deadline as they had pre-trade deadline. And, and I think that once you get into, um, you know, that six through nine range in this draft class, Right. Once you get past the Cade Cunningham, the Evan Mobley, the Jalen Suggs, the Jalen Green, you know, people talk about Jonathan Kaminga in the same breath. I don't know about that, but you know, once you get past that point, it's just like, why why am I even here when I could have been two spots higher and played in the play in game? Because like it's it's like just a, a like a free opportunity to make the playoffs. And if it doesn't work out, you know, you're back in the same spot as, you know. Uh, a team that landed, you know, six through nine. And so I think keeping the present value, right. Keeping Kyle Lowry, you know, giving yourself the opportunity to sneak into that playoff game and sort of get the best of both worlds where you can be in the lottery if it doesn't work out. And if it does work out, you're in a first round playoff series. I think that makes sense for the Raptors as a team that are better than the record and that can punch above their weight um, given the right, you know, set of circumstances. I think it's, uh, it's especially important with, Pascal because you wonder he his playmaking this year has been I think severely underrated and you wonder mm-hmm. if that playmaking bent will help some of the playoff struggles like that on ball creation that he kind of struggled with last year and some of that is not to get in the armchair with psychology and all that kind of stuff because Pascal's mind is his own I have no idea what's going on there but was in a bit of a funk personally and on court wise so you, you get a little bit more of uh let's see what would it be? A, a runway to see what's happening with Pascal yeah. in a playoff environment. And if he performs really well, you can kind of paper over and smooth over all of this anti-Pascal sentiment that's in the fandom and all this really harsh goings on with Nurse because obviously there's something going on there. Right. And it just gives you an opportunity to, I can, to operate with a little bit more clarity as far as like Pascal, OG, and Fred. And that's that's worthwhile, I think. Yeah, I think knowing what you have is important in those three guys because with Pascal, like a star-level player, you really only have this year and this year and last year to look at in terms of handling that level of usage. Um, and it's also for Pascal, if you go into the playoffs as an eight seed or a seven seed, right, just having the opportunity to have a playoff series with like, very little pressure, very few expectations, right? Because I think if you want to like put yourself in that armchair psychologist position, right? You get the feeling that he was very disappointed with himself following last playoffs and having, you know, a, a, a less, you know, like I said, less expectations. It could be a, a chance for him to play, you know, more freely, more confidently, uh, which could be, you know, could be really beneficial to him. I suppose the next thing then is, so this draft, just, um, you touched on it a little bit, but just make the case for the the top five and let's say like the next seven, eight guys after what you're seeing there and okay. why the Raptors well, aren't gaining that much. Everyone knows the top, like they have their top five set, 
not necessarily what order it's in, but they have their top five set. So Cade Cunningham is like he entered the college season and people sort of perceived him as like a Ben Simmons type, you know, a bigger point guard who, um, you know, had a bit more of a jump shot, but was like a very solid stellar defender could just like make like, you know, really remarkable reads, excellent handle for his size. He's shown less explosion than a guy like Simmons in college, but he himself to be like maybe the best shooter in the draft class. Like he is just an incredible off the dribble shooter. Um, He looks like a guy who could end up being, you know, a Paul George type, which is bizarre for a guy who entered, you know, college, you know, with maybe some Ben Simmons comparisons, but he's a guy who, who, Maybe limited in terms of rim, rim pressure, in terms of just beating guys straight up off the dribble, but a, a phenomenal pull-up shooter, relatively good decision maker, an elite defensive player. Mo, Evan Mobley is just an outstanding mover, an incredibly you know petty player for his size. Um, you know, seven feet tall. There's some questions, obviously. You know, similar build to someone like Chris Boucher, where he's very narrow in the hips, not going to be able to add a lot of weight. So whether he plays. Um, full-time at the five or splits time between the four and the five remains to be seen, but he's someone who's just like, you know, a lot of nascent skills, a really good head for the game, incredible mover for his size. Jalen Suggs and Jalen Green are ludicrous athletes. They just dust people off the dribble, just first step and they're gone. Um, Jonathan Kuminga is, he's got some problems as a shot maker, but, um, remarkable like a really good athlete really like stout strong uh good defender um flash some playmaking you know good handle for his size uh and then it there's like no consensus whatsoever past Kuminga what the sixth pick in the draft is right like I've seen guys who are mocked at sixth in certain drafts be mocked at like 20th you know, Garuba is like a guy like that. Yeah. yeah. Usman Garuba, who gets like mocked in the lottery in some drafts, mocked like mid second round in others, right? There's absolutely no consensus the moment you get past pick six. I think most people would have Scotty Barnes there who can't shoot like at all and does not have center size. And it's like, yes, he has a lot of other skills in terms of his, like a, his ability as a ball handler, his ability as a passer at you know six I think six eight six nine you know not like a super high level you know in spite of the fact that guys with that skill set often are and just like a a a lot of questions with someone like him Jalen Johnson is also mentioned up there who you know stopped playing for Duke halfway through the season I don't want (laughs) to say that anyone who doesn't play college basketball is like not an NBA prospect obviously college basketball is a kind of exploitative and shitty but like at the same time um there's it means the sample size you have for evaluating him is really limited and he I I don't think he like did I think he was kind of abysmal on defense um when when he did play for them so it's just like 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 you have these five you have four at least for me four really good prospects one you know, guy who you would be comfortable picking like second or third in a normal draft in Kuminga. And then it's just like completely flat, I would say, until like the late teens after that. You're you're not really gleaning any sort of advantage by picking sixth as a pick opposed to picking like, you know, 
11th, 12th. You know, you might lose the guy you were eyeing, right? If you have like a, a good eye for the draft, like Masai Ujiri, right? And you're picking 13th and, you know, you have one guy you really like and he goes at 11th and you don't get him, you know, that, you know, that kind of sucks. But I think that's really the only way, if you have a specific guy in mind, that's really the only way you lose value. And I, I think it's with the clusterfuck just draft becomes after six, it's hard to have a specific guy in mind unless you're me and it's Kai Jones and you think he could be a superstar. But uh, he's going to be there when the Raptors pick. So they're going to pick him. There'll be like Kai Jones, Keon Johnson. They'll, there'll be guys with like that incredible profile that you can say, you know what, we'll swing for them. And maybe they become the, I, the point you make is I think a salient one to, a good one is that, you know, it's flat between six and 20 or whatever it ends up. Okay. Any other thoughts on the Kyle Lowry situation or else we'll move on to the Norm Paltrow? Like putting away my glass of skin milk, putting away my, my Nate Duncan hat. I'm just so happy they kept him because, you know, because of, he means so much to this franchise, right? He is the, the greatest Raptor of all time. He's the reason I'm a Raptors fan. Um, I think the same is true for so many people in this city. And um, to see him get an opportunity to still have that, that, that hope to cling to of him finishing, rounding out the whole rest of his career with the Raptors, you know, won't be a lifer, but is one in spirit if uh, he gets the chance to do that. I think that would be so cool. And I'm glad that they didn't panic because the first half of the season went badly. Yeah. And uh, that they kept him around. It just means so much to this team. If you had a really, really nice trade package, sure. Then, uh, then you move Kyle Lowry. If he really wanted to go somewhere else and he thought like, and Kyle Lowry, you know, the, the franchise feels indebted to him in some ways and should. And so uh, if he really wanted to go and was like, I need to go, I want to try and win one somewhere else, then I think you try and make that happen too. But it appears that neither of those situations came about. So you stand pat. Masai Ujiri in his press conference said they are really biased about Kyle Lowry's trade value. And, and you should be. To trade away an icon like that, you should get uh, the farm or somebody else's farm or some sort Absolutely. of feudalism or whatever, you know. Yeah. And, okay, so let's talk. Norman Powell, who's – I tweeted about this, and I thought this is when you trade Powell because I think that his, his value was somewhat inflated because some of the low-hanging fruit offense was coming to him that really juiced up his numbers. Mm-hmm. Not everybody, and you know, this is a disservice to other, it seems like a disservice to other organizations because you imagine they do their homework, but on some level, point per game brain does leak into the mind of a GM, especially for optics and stuff like that. So you wonder, you wonder if Norman Powell is worth more now. And it appeared that he had been the Adrian Warsnarowski, Zach Lowe saying somewhere between like 14 to 18 teams were inquiring and package ready. And the one the Raptors settled on Gary Trent Jr. and Rodney Hood for Norman Powell. I'm aware that you do not like this pick, so or not this pick, this trade, the trade they picked, let's say. So yeah. the floor is yours. Let's, uh, let's hear it. I, I do think it lines up with them sort of hedging and understanding mm-hmm. that they have a chance to make the playoffs this year because Trent can immediately come in and fill the same sort of – like Norm's core role within the Raptors' offense is as an off-ball mover – a guy who plays, operates out of handoff sets, right, flare sets. Trent is going to come in and he's going to do 
roughly the same thing in that capacity. He just has none of the ancillary skills that Norm has on offense um, that really differentiate Norm from, uh, you know, your average movement shooter. And I think it ties back to Norm being like a genuinely outstanding athlete from a first step perspective, right? Where he's a guy who can catch the ball. And if the defense has overcommitted even a little, he's gone, right? He's like two, three, he has like two, three steps on them. He's right at the basket. He applies a ton of, of rim pressure and is like a guy you do have to close out on hard, but really he, he added more value. He added more or as much value as a guy who, you know, applied rim pressure scored at the rim as he did from behind the three point line. And I think with Trent jr, he's strictly, he's strictly a shooter, right? When, if you close out on him and you close out on him, well, he's going to have to put the ball on the floor. And then once he does, you're, you're comfortable with that as a defense because he's going to get as far as the foul line. He's going to have to pull up or he's going to have to go to a step back three point shot. And I think that, you know, that, for the Raptors, given that they have essentially been flinging up threes all season long, have had very little in the way. Like Pascal's put pressure on the rim, but that's all translated into kickouts. They've had very little actual scoring at the rim. I think that this this trade, you know, really turns them into a team that's like single-minded in terms of how they score and where where they're you know threatening um, and. Uh, I don't know that there's not ne- there's necessarily a way for for Trent to develop much of a game inside of the arc based on what I've seen. Right, his handle seems relatively loose. He's not an exceptional athlete. We haven't we don't have really have a sample on him as a as a playmaker just because it's not something he's done. Maybe he'll get more of those opportunities here. But um, and then I think defensively, it's it's kind of a wash. What I've seen from Trent is he's probably going to make you want to tear your hair out less than Norm, but I think he still is. He's Norm is prone to just like losing his man. Trent, to me, from what I what I've seen of him, he overhelps in a way that's like really toothless. Um, like he'll sink really low, but he's right in the defender's field of vision. He's not creating steals or deflections, and it, it's just giving the other team you know, open shots. It feels like a guy whose understanding of defense is like fairly rote, right? Like he knows, okay, I need to rotate. I need to be here. And, you know, now I'm here and I'm not actually, you know, I'm not actually impacting the play in a meaningful way versus a guy who has a more intuitive understanding of defense who, you know, hasn't like, this is a cliche, but who has a nose for the ball and can actually go and uh, impact the play. Uh, He's, you know, kind of a zero defender, so like a no impact defender. So I think it's kind of a, a, a hedge, right? Like an asset management play where you're, you know, you're accepting that you're getting a worse guy, but he's younger and he's cheaper. So we're not, we're, we're you know, losing a little bit, but it's just a little bit rather than losing everything. Yeah, I think it's 100% the point you make and a point I've gone on about endlessly, probably in every episode of Reaction or Weekly Podcast. The Raptors don't have rim pressure. Their offense is homogenous, and there's very little in the way to produce that on the roster because you look at their guys who are on the end of the bench, undrafted guys, very specific skill set guys who are all stacked on top of each other, Stanley, 
Yuta, even Paul Watson to some degree, even though he yeah. has a bit of on-ball wiggle, there's a hesitancy to get downhill from all of those guys. And mm-hmm. Bambury can, but he doesn't have the jump shot. And he has like a lot of those fill-in skills that he slides in very nicely next to guys like Pascal when they're operating on ball with a modicum of success. But he, he's like a guy, he's a connector. He's a conduit for a lot of plays, a swing mm-hmm. pass guy. And yeah, Gary Trent Jr., as far as guys who are closing out, provides very little in the way of danger if he's attacking the guy's wrong foot and getting downhill. As you say, is he getting stuck at the nail? Is something going to happen where he can't get all the way to the rim? And what happens with guys, like, for example, when I was younger and I was watching DeMar DeRozan for the first time in my life and seeing how he finished so athletically at the rim, but I kept wondering why guys who couldn't jump as high we're getting to the bucket and finishing with less resistance than he was all the time. Right. Finally realizing, oh, the first step, and then learning how important that is. Norms is quite remarkable, actually. And he can turn the corner on guys that, in a way that a lot of players can't. There's that dunk on Anthony Davis. And you don't get to those points on the floor without bursting past guys. And Gary Trent Jr., as far as coming off of pin downs, dribble handoffs, he's not going to provide that same amount of pressure. With flare screens, with forming up off of drives and relocating, I think there's quite a high ceiling for him to fit in next to Pascal and Fred. But as you say, you're just adding to that same element of your offense. And the Raptors, are you just going to keep supercharging your three-point offense and see where that gets you? Because being homogenous, not having any diversity or versatility, it'll kill you in the playoffs. It'll make it really, really difficult because teams will just extend their shell a little bit and you'll just be walked into mid-range jumpers that basically nobody on the roster mm-hmm. wants to take. And so that, that'll be interesting. But as you say, I think it is a hedge, younger, restricted versus unrestricted. And the Raptors kind of say, you know, we, we'll be able to make this work. And Gary Trent Jr. in his interview today was talking, or his media availability was talking about the Raptors player development system. And it's become a cliche at this point. Players mm-hmm. come and talk about that when they come, but Who's to say? Maybe something pops off with him. But I, I do like his on-ball defense. He has some really dominant stretches. But as you say, uh, the toothless help, how he yeah. operates in the scheme, There, he had a few big games around the bubble, and they were national coverage games. And so it takes very little for a guy to earn a defensive, a defensive, defensive reputation. Yeah. I mean, Norm had one for like three years longer than he probably deserved. And mm-hmm. it's uh, Gary Trent Jr. is coasting on that right now. Of course, you know, there's playoff defenders. There's guys who are way better when, you know, the intensity gets up. But Trent Jr. probably has to operate on a a more consistent level to surpass where Norm was. And we'll see how it works. What I've heard about him is he's a, he's, you know, he's an effort guy. He, like, he is a, like, a really high effort guy, which is a great place to start defensively, right? Like, you, you cannot be a good defensive player if you're not trying. Um, and if a guy has a reputation for, for, you know, trying hard, he's always going to have a somewhat inflated defensive rep. But yeah, I, I think that uh, his on-ball defense is going to be less valuable to the Raptors than it was to the Blazers, um, just because the Raptors have guys like Fred, have guys like OG. Um, and it's going to be, the fact that he's young gives him an opportunity to, you know, he is going to have to grow as a player if he is going to get past Norm defensively. Um, because he's you know he's going to be used in a different role his 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 strengths aren't going to be i don't think quite as as maximized in toronto as they were in portland and in portland he wasn't you know 
statistically wasn't an impactful defender, right? Like they were atrocious with him on, they were atrocious with him off. I'm kind of, I, I just think that if you're going to, to, to trade Norm, I, I, I think that maybe my, my gut reaction to the move was like, okay, so they're, 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 it's all downside, right? Like you want some kind of, you want some kind of upside um, in terms of like you ending up with like the best player in the trade. And I just, I just don't feel like there's ever a point in their next contracts where Gary Trent Jr. is a better player than Norman Powell. It's like, it's very hard for me to envision that Norm is only going to be like, what, 30, 31 by the end of his next contract. Trent is going to be 26. And then Trent is probably not going to be on the Raptors anymore after that. Kind of tough. Also, I don't know if Trent is necessarily cheaper after next year, just because I think that if I'm a team like the Thunder, right, and I have like a youth fetish and $60 million in cap space, right, like I'm going to offer Gary Trent Jr. what, like, 15 18 million dollars a year and end up with him that's uh, but that like that's a dorky concern right that's just a matter of like him eating up some luxury tax money you know him eating like you know maybe they have to sign a guy with a taxpayer mle as opposed to a you know a non-taxpayer mle it's not a it's not a big deal but it's hard to see where like the raptors like being like three years down the line, the Raptors being like really happy about this trade, as opposed to something like the Rebus Vasquez trade where they got two picks and they both hit, right? And you're like, we made out like bandits. I don't think there's a world where that's the case with this trade. I think that's fair. And it's it's all dependent on what Gary Trent Jr. becomes, basically. And that's, mm-hmm. especially when, as you say, there are markers to look for. And the markers aren't always predictive, but they are more often than not. And there guys will always, there's always exceptions to the rule, but the markers are not indicative of Gary Trent Jr. exceeding Powell's offensive output. And defensively, I think it's conceivable that he'll exceed him, but to the degree that he's a, a better player or much better at that point is um, maybe a little bit tough to swallow, especially when you consider Powell's, the cost of Powell should have been quite high given his standing as a scorer and he he was scoring at a really ridiculous rate. Like the oh yeah the efficiency was, he was doing it was crazy. I thought you I made a tweet twenty four percent usage, sixty five percent true shooting, something like yeah, that. Yeah, pretty bonkers. You had a tweet maybe like a week ago talking about how Tobias Harris had a similar output to Norm, and he received you know a much bigger package. The Clippers obviously sending him to Philly. And I have a sneaking suspicion that if Philly had traded for Gallinari instead of uh, Tobias Harris that year, they would have won the championship. <laughs> but I mean, I guess uh, the Raptors won instead. So that's, that's not I, too I bad think either. As like an off the catch, like he, he fills that sort of same offensive function, just like as an off the catch scorer, um, you know, like a two, three dribbles guy, similar to Harris. Um, and I, I, I think it's just a matter of, teams sort of like sort of looking at a a trade like the Harris trade where you know you're getting these sort of more like narrow players um you're you're overpaying for these sort of narrow players and um just realizing that you know those guys those guys aren't ultimately like the the what makes a difference in in the playoffs right you know those guys it it 
playoffs are are about like your kind of polarizing your outcome right like being as as you know having the highest possible ceiling and just like hitting that as frequently as possible and that's more to do with um you know your very best players than it is to do with your with your role guys your role guys are always going to be like making very like relatively small differences which is why a team should have brought out the piggy bank for Kyle Lowry but they did yeah absolutely right because he trans he transforms the like he transforms the way you play like he completely alters your play style right he he lets you do things that you know a slightly better movement shooter does not right like in terms of upping your upping your pace just like you know as you might make a couple units viable that wouldn't have been otherwise and then you're getting even in a playoff game like four to five minutes of a lineup that's operating Mm -hmm. in a way higher clip even when philly lost to the raptors when they had boban on the floor or greg monroe that was a tragedy for them and if you have somebody who can help transform a player like that just for a couple minutes at a time you don't lose that part of the game and then you can dominate elsewhere it's uh it's a big deal He's also the kind of player who's much better on a good team, right, like Mm -hmm. Kyle is, where he's, especially as a defensive player, where if, like, he is your, the guy with, like, the least defensive responsibility on the floor, which I think in certain lineups for Philly he could be, he is just, like, so disruptive in terms of, like, drawing charges, obviously, is what he's known for, but just like blowing up all sorts of all sorts of actions as as like and just finding areas to overhelp kind of the opposite of Trent where it's all intuitive right it's all stuff that like me like you me as a normal person just like wouldn't think to do and he like he just kills teams on stuff like that so yeah I don't know it, it pal like Norm is he, he's just kind of like a better version of what you already had um same with Tobias Harris. Like he doesn't add a different, you know, a different angle for a team. He just makes them marginally better. And I think that in terms of, you know, really unlocking a new level and taking a, you know, a conference finals team and making them a championship contender. Right. I think that that's more what you're looking for at the deadline. And I think that's maybe why teams are cool, like more, a little more hesitant to, uh, offer the farm for someone like Norman Powell as well he's, as he's been scoring. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's interesting because Kyle, he wins you the battles in the unforeseen margins and the seen ones. It's just, mm-hmm. you know, it's a, his, his value I think remains underrated as it has been basically his whole career. There, there's a case that he's been a top 10 player of the past 10 years that will never be made in popular media. But I think for those who are paying attention it isn't a wild take, and it's something to contend with. But okay, before we let you get out of here, Gorgie Jang has been waived by the Grizzlies. <laughs> he made it into your manifesto as yes. a contingency, like, hey, this thing should probably happen. The Raptors with Gorgie Jang, if that comes through, how do you view the team? Why do you want him? Um, well, with, with Jang, it's kind of like what they were hoping that they would get out of Baines, I think, is is what Jang would provide. Baines has been like genuinely, like legitimately 
one of the worst Raptors ever to receive consistent playing time. I know people are like really hyperbolic about that on Twitter, but like it is legitimately the case. He has been so bad. And if Jang can just be passable, right, as a guy who can space the floor a little bit, you know, actually catch passes when he rolls, right, provide some, you know, like, like on 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 defense, provide some level of, of of shot blocking, of rim protection, of rim deterrence, right? And being be a guy who is like actually large, as opposed to Chris Boucher, who can you can put in traditional center matchups. Who more than you know, being a guy you can put there, being a guy Nick Nurse trusts to handle those matchups. That's really what matters. Um, then I think that just it it changes so much like because you're not having to drag this like massive weight around in the form of, of Aaron Baines just to be able to match up with teams with, you know, more traditional um, like interior threats. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. Well, I totally agree. I'm a big fan of Jang. I'm surprised that he kind of fell to the wayside with the Grizzlies because I think he's still valuable on a team that wants to win games. That blows my mind a little bit. He's totally fine. It's just the Grizzlies have a, like they have Jonas. Then they have, they want to try out Brendan Clark at center. Then they have, they drafted Xavier Tillman. I think they signed Killian Tilly and John to two way contracts. They just have this huge overabundance of big men. And he just ended up, you know, being the odd man out because he's a little bit older and they want to, give run to their younger guys, but no, he's still a totally fine player in every, you know, every time he gets on the floor, he, you know, he's looked like a, you know, a perfectly adequate NBA player, you know, totally fine fifth starter. And that changes everything for the Raptors. If they get someone like that, just because Baines has been so utterly atrocious. Yeah. It's tough to play. You know, some teams can do it when the guy is really, really strong defensively. Like a monster, you have to be somewhat close to like defensive player of the year level defensively to allow the team to go four on five. And you have to have uber creators on your team as well. And some some people have walked that line, Andre Roberson, for a couple years, right? And teams have won with that. But the Raptors with Baines, it just, the calculus, it just does not shake out. And no. I don't think it ever will this season. I, and, I think it really hurts Pascal, right, as a rim Oh, sport. man, it kills him. He's... Oh my God, he dives in on everything and he cramps every bit of spacing. He mm-hmm. kills me, dude. And I think, well, the other thing about Jang, right, the reason you want to get him is if you want to unlock Pascal's score, you do want, you know, a space floor, you do want to play five out. And Jang is a really good shooter for a big man. Um, he has, I think, a, I think someone called him a trebuchet once. He has a similar looking release to uh, Chris Boucher, but it goes in. So, uh, yeah. It's uh, a growing amount of trebuchets in the league. Mm-hmm. It's uh, seen as a popular siege weapon. We'll see how long it lasts. But yeah, Rodney Hood as well, I suppose we should touch on. I think his skill set, and I'll just go first, Jacob. I think his skill set is really unique on the Raptors. There's a bit more on-ball craft than basically any other wing on the Raptors, although he has graded out as a truly, truly bad player this year. And his Achilles injury really hurts his performance. But as far as like his skill set, it's still unique. So maybe he'll have spot minutes. Like there was a game against the Mavs the other night where I watched and Rodney Hood was in there for like 
from minute five in the fourth quarter to minute number two, and then he was replaced by C.J. McCollum. But he had a nice stretch, and guys can have nice stretches, and if they have a unique skill set on your team, maybe they find their way into minutes because the Raptors have so many like they have so many similar guys as far as skill sets. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. But he's he's been bad this year, I think is worth pointing no, out. No, he's been pretty terrible. I think that if the Raptors hadn't landed on Paul Watson as the guy, if they were still searching, then you would absolutely give him a look because he has been productive in the past and he does definitely have more on-ball chops than anyone, you know, the Raptors could call on to play that sort of role. But um no, I think that given that they've it sounds like Nurse from quotes has decided, you know, Paul Watson is the guy in that spot. Um, you would hope that Hood's minutes stay relatively limited, right? That you can just give Watson the confidence to go out and keep playing, you know, regular minutes, give him that sort of routine and uh, hope he, uh, he makes good on the faith that Nurse has uh, uh, apparently installed in him. And unfortunately, in health and safety protocol, he and Bembry tonight. So, oh well, then yeah, we yeah. give Robbie a look, look, you know, tonight. Yeah. So we'll see. But Jacob feels like a podcast. Yeah, I, I, I think so. Um, I've should have worn something a little lighter. I'm starting to build up a sweat. So, uh, yeah, I'm gonna t- go take a shower, get ready for the game. Um, before we get out of here. Thank you very much for coming on. But the floor is yours to plug away. Some people, if they don't want to plug their own stuff, they recommend a book or anything like that. So uh, the floor is yours, mate. Oof. Um, I don't have anything to plug. I recommend, if I'm going to recommend a book, the most recent thing that I read that I re- really liked was something called The Farseer Trilogy by Robin Hobb. Um, I'm a big, um, like I like more serious stuff, but I also like pulpy, trashy fantasy. It's something that very clearly inspired the A Song of Ice and Fire books by George R. R. Martin. It came out a year prior. It's first-person epic fantasy, which I think is is very interesting in terms of having not necessarily an unreliable narrator, but a narrator with a great, like a lot of character, um, where like you can really, like it, it, it really feels like you're engaging with a, with a person rather than, you know, some, something pulled back and omniscient. So, uh, I thought that was really cool for something like a, you know, like I said, like the epic fantasy genre. So, uh, yeah, that's my recommendation. I have nothing to plug. I have not created anything in ages, except for the manifesto, which I enjoyed. Yes, and yeah, and uh, listener, I suggest you go give it a read. Uh, you'll have the the finer points, I think, down. There's a, there's some cap minutia in there that uh, it's helpful to just read through so yeah. you can sit with it and go, okay, this is why Dallas won't get him. This is why New York won't or mm-hmm. why the Heat, you know, they'll trigger cap holds with Duncan Robinson or Victor Oladipo or whatever. Mm-hmm. So go read through if uh, you feel like, if you haven't already or if you feel like you want a little bit more information. But Jacob, thank you so much for taking the I, time, man. I I've enjoyed this. One thing I can plug is please follow me on Twitter at at, at Jacob underscore M underscore Mac. There we go. That's it. That's my plug. We're done. Yeah. And uh, if you have trouble inputting underscores, just go to the article of this and I'll have it. uh, You'll just be able to click his name and it'll take you right to the Twitter page and you can hit follow. But Jacob, thank you so much, man. Uh, Thanks for having me on. Okay, listener. I hope you enjoyed it, whether you got into it in the morning or at night. Have a blessed day and goodbye.